0: Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode 0 if you haven't already.
1: Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community.
0: This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options.
1: This year we want to focus on bringing the Rope podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram.
0: Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet, connected with a kinky podcast, don't worry. And now going on with the show. Vorka began her rope journey as a bottom in Phoenix 10 years ago, and shortly thereafter moved to London, where much of her early rope learning happened. Upon moving back to the US, she began presenting at cons and intensives around the country, sharing her love of rope. As an educator, she's decidedly non-dogmatic in her approach to teaching. Her classes aim to help bottoms to better understand their bodies in movement and to offer rigors the knowledge to adapt their tying to the unique needs of their partners. When she's not doing rope, Froko is a professional acrobat. Her dedicated study of the mechanics of the body makes her especially interested in developing more comprehensive education for bottoms informed by these practices. She's also a leftist who believes that kink is inherently political. She strives to bring her politics, her values, and an accountability for those values into her teaching spaces.
1: Fuoco, welcome to the Rope Podcast.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Our pleasure. To get us started today, can you tell us how you discovered rope bondage in the first place?
2: Yeah, um, I was, I guess I was probably, I was just out of college, so I must have been like 22. And I started Googling how do I find people to tie me up, um, which at that time led me to some pretty creepy corners of the internet. I think that collarme.com was still a thing back then, and um, I definitely made a profile. <laughs> uh, but eventually, that led me to finding and like discovering my local kink community. And I wasn't so specifically interested in rope bondage. I was interested in bondage. More broadly, and like kink for sex, and that though of course coincided with a time when rope bondage specifically was pretty was exploding in popularity and um so once I was in kink community, I became especially interested in rope
1: okay that that makes a lot of sense, and your interest at first was from the bottom inside or the top side
2: uh yeah, I was a bottom for a couple of years before I started. I was definitely interested as a bottom. Um, and then I started self tying mostly because at the time I was living in, I was living in Europe pretty early on in my rope journey. And at the time, five day long intensives were the thing. So you'd, you'd travel to Berlin. That was, I mean, that was where I was traveling to most often was like traveling to Berlin and five days of like eight hour days of education. And I was just bored out of my mind. Right. You're just like three still with your arms behind your back. And so I just started like learning to tie because I was so bored, Uh, not because I had sort of like innate desire to tie people, but it definitely like that interest grew out of, out of that more than anything else.
1: And did it feel different for you self tying versus being tied by someone?
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. I think that I, I think that I was always fascinated by rope in all of its sort of like applications. And so I liked self-tying just because knowing anything more about rope was really good uh, and felt really exciting. But I definitely self-tied as like an intellectual interest rather than to like feel something necessarily, or rather to have the sort of like experiences that I was looking for out of bottoming.
1: So it was more about the craft of how to tie than the sensation, as opposed to when you bottom, you're maybe more looking for a certain experience, if I understand you correctly.
2: Yeah, craft is is the right is a good way to put it. Like I I maybe at some point, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean that was a while ago. And so perhaps at that time I was interested in getting to a place where I could self-tie to give myself some sort of experience, but I don't think I ever really got there. Like I don't think that if i was pursuing that and i don't totally remember it wasn't something where i ever fell into a good rhythm where self tying was like deeply satisfying in that way but i was always like i was always excited to be able to take what i was sort of observing and absorbing in these workshop settings and just put them in my hands and put them in my fingers and put it on my body myself and
1: so then how did you transition from this button who self ties to being a rope educator like what was the what was the click
2: I think I was asked initially to teach like a small little bottoming rope bottoming 101 thing for London's I can't even think of the name of the event right now but uh there was very very little in the way of bottoming education that existed at that time um it was it was really hard to come by bottoming education and that I was also sort of just starting my, I'm a circus artist in my professional life. And vanilla, the vanilla life distinction feels very weird when your job is a circus artist, it all sort of blends together. But so like, I also am a circus artist and I was also really just starting to deepen my study of circus. And I felt like. There I was in this space where I was doing things with my body that were similar to rope, but I was being given very, very detailed instruction on how my body could work in in these ways to achieve these things. And so the uh, lack of bottoming education in the rope space felt really apparent to me. And I felt like I had a few things to offer from the circus space. Uh, And I remember teaching a workshop with, uh, Anna bones was demo bottoming for me. I wanted to really quickly just talk about the risks of box tie and sort of like nerve pathways and the tension that you might want to experience within a box tie. And I put her in a box tie on the ground, like a really shitty one, like for the sake of, of demonstration, I wanted to be like, here's what a bad box tie looks like. Um, And I remember saying out loud something like, you know, when you see this, like, it's not necessarily going to be a huge red flag for, for groundwork, but it is going to be a big red flag for suspension. And then in that moment, she was like, actually, I think my thumb's going numb just from this (laughs) shitty, that's on the floor that's unloaded. Um, But yeah, I guess that, that, you know, that was sort of the start of it. Um, I, I got into education because I was asked, and then I think at the time, uh, people saw me as capable for reasons that I don't really like value anymore. Right. At the time people saw me as capable because I was flexible. Mm-hmm. I was athletic. Um, I was like doing a lot of things with my body and circus that meant that I was able to like achieve a lot of very strenuous positions in rope and people valued that. Um, I'm really happy that we don't lift people up as educators these days, just because they can like put their foot in some strange place in relationship to their head. Um, but I'm also so grateful for the opportunities that I, that I had, right. Um, people started asking me to teach and I started teaching like flexibility, like circus style, like body classes. Um, that was, that was the start of it.
1: Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really want to share our love of rope to as many listeners as possible. And for that, we need your help. Please go to Instagram and follow our account Rope Podcast. Then reshare this episode in your stories. Show your love of rope and help others discover it too. You mentioned that a big difference for you between circus and rope was that in circus you had more information about what your body was going to go through and what it was going to feel like. Are there other big differences between the world of circus and the world of rope in your experience?
2: They're like just wildly different to me at this point in time. Um, I think part of that might just be how I approach them. There was certainly a time when I was really interested in like, tie me in the splits and let me see how I can flip myself around in this suspension like I was interested in sort of the crossover between circus and rope and then since I've professionalized circus and since it's become so much a part of my life like I don't want my rope to look anything like it anymore um I'm like if you had told me 10 years ago or eight years ago that like Someday you're only going to be interested in like suffering in rope and you're not going to be interested in movement or you're not going to be interested in this acrobatic rope. I would have thought you were, I, I just wouldn't have believed you at all. But, um. but something that, well, so to back up, I suppose a little bit, something that deep training in circus has taught me uh, is how little control we actually have over our bodies in rope. I think there's like a lot of, I think that the ideas of active bottoming that have been sort of like circulated and the what they suggest about how we ought to be in suspension and how we ought to hold our bodies and control our bodies, I think are really, I don't think that that actually speaks to most people's experiences. So like within circus, a lot of what I studied contortion for many years, I don't do it anymore. I got injured at at some point in time and stopped and switched focuses. But uh, so like flexibility was a huge part of my study. And what you learn when you study flexibility is that you have an active range of motion. Here's how far I can move my limb by myself with my own muscles. Uh, And then you have a passive range of motion, which is like, here's how far my limb can move if somebody exerts force upon it. Right. And within your active range of motion, you have control over that range of motion. And within your passive range of motion, you have very little muscular control over that range. Uh, As bondage practitioners, we're very often interested in putting people into their passive ranges of motion, We're very often interested in people. And sometimes we're interested in doing that. And sometimes that's just like naturally what occurs in the body, because you don't want to hang in a waist rope in a plank. (laughs) Like you don't (laughs) want to get
1: sold fast.
2: Yeah, totally. It's not not the most sustainable path. I guess I've maybe wandered around your question a little bit of like what circus, how circus and rope feel different or how they feel similar. But uh, as I've gotten more and more attuned to my body and what my body does in these positions in circus that look very similar to positions that you might achieve in bondage, what I realize is that in circus, I have a great deal of control over my body. And often in rope, I'm in spaces where I don't have a great deal of control over my body and that's sort of by design and that's sort of like, inherent to the process and there are exceptions to that rule. There are moments where you can certainly protect and control your balance or control uh, how engaged you are in a joint, but for the most part, not.
0: And what's important to you in at the moment, what does rope look like for you now?
2: Well, now I live in kind of rural Massachusetts. Uh, I moved here from kind of rural Vermont, which uh, is just to say that, like, I love bottoming and it's very important to me and not super a part of my practice at the moment because there's not a ton of people who top suspension bondage where I live. Um, so that's really changed. It, it hasn't changed what's important to me, but it has changed sort of like what my expression of what's important to me looks like. I seek out tying mostly with friends. Rope is not super uh, sexual for me at this point in time. Bondages, but like rope, rope bondage. <laughs> bondage more broadly is is like part of a, a sexual interest. But right now, my like rope practice is really a way of connecting with with friends who I consider to be close friends and sharing like fun, playful, sometimes sadistic, sometimes intense spaces, but often just that. There, you know, there was a time in my life when I chased chased out scenes with like scary sadists who like made me feel all sorts of like ways. And that's not something that I that I look for anymore. Um what do and you as think
1: a top that meant you used to seek that experience and you don't so much at the moment.
2: I mean honestly I think that I like many people got burned a couple of times in the, like, (laughs) not, you know, I think that there, that's, that's such a huge question. I think I came into my own queerness in a lot of ways. Um, In all of the ways that a 20 year old picks like sexual partners differently than a 30 year old picks sexual partners differently. Like my rope preferences changed in, in those ways too. the sort of like hot, scary, dominant, sadist used to be very interesting to me. Um, probably both as a rope person in my life and also as like maybe some sort of potential like sexual or romantic partner. Um, and then I started learning to like really seek out queer relationships personally in my life and partnerships. If, if partnerships with men, partnerships with men who didn't necessarily embody those qualities and that translated into what I was looking for in rope as well, I think.
0: And that leads to an interesting area which you can share as much or as little as you want about, which is what kind of challenges have you faced in the quite a number of years that you've been in the rope scene? Rope field? Rope area?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess the the initial reaction and my immediate my brain immediately goes to sort of the challenges of rope bottoming education being, uh, accepted, respected, valued equally. Um, I, as an educator, I've almost always been an unpartnered educator. Like there's very rarely been times in my life when I've been partnered with another person who teaches rope. And so that meant that I was often traveling solo or developing curriculum that I could teach solo. Um, and, that was its own unique challenge. Like people weren't used to that format. People weren't used to the idea of like a bottoming class that wasn't facilitated by a rigor, or a bottoming class that wasn't just sort of like the last 20 minutes of, you know, the class is going to be bottoming content sprinkled on top of tying content. And so there was a number of times when Uh, I had to really convince people that, no, you should sell partnered tickets to this bottoming content and actually like tops and bottoms should come to this class that is about bottoming, that clearly, despite being about bottoming, has value for all parties involved. Um, I remember teaching a workshop with Tifereth years ago, and the model of the workshop was we're going to like develop a very... Easy to tie, but challenging to bottom in sequence. Um, we're going to talk through how our bodies bottom in that sequence differently. Like we bot, we have very different um, different anatomies, different bottoming styles. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna bottom in this challenging sequence. We're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna utilize an unclip system. We're basically going to create a safer container for bottoms to sort of like be in challenging suspensions and then call it down and get unclipped down quickly so that you're not stressing about, you know, how long is it going to take for my rigor to untie me? And when we proposed this, the edu- the conference that we proposed this to said something to us along the way, like just, you know, they were, they were interested, but they were like, wow, this is, this is really risky. You guys, this is a really, <laughs> this, if it works, it'll be great. But this, you know, they really positioned themselves as like, we're going out on a limb for you guys. and. Uh, I think risky in the sense of like an offering like that hadn't been presented at a conference risky in the sense of like, we were potentially asking bottoms to like, I mean, just the concept of like, you're going to create a space for bottoms to like be in charge, be in a tough suspension, explore their limits on their own terms. Like it, it is hard to it, articulate risky. Why now? Because yeah, the perspective now it seems like, so much, right? Because everything shifted so much, yeah. But at the time, it was a pretty wild proposal. Um, So that's that's a challenge that certainly, uh, that certainly like comes to mind, right? Just sort of bringing bottoming education into the fold, and then with with that like compensating your bottoming educators, right? There was years, there was a few years period of time where I was on the education board for a big conference, and we had known that we wanted to start asking tying pairs to present as opposed to like just rigors with their nameless bottom and that we wanted the content to be focused on bottoming and topping and then there was like another you know there was another few years of figuring out well how do we actually like pay for the flights of both of these people um so that was that was a challenge I suppose like more personally right like we all watched the rope world have its own me too. And I think that you picked up on this in my last answer, Maya, right? Like part of, part of why I seek out different relationships in tying is because the challenges I've experienced have been, I think, realizing, I think this is like really great advice to give to new bottoms, right? I think that, I think that we all come into rope and expect a certain like, level of like shared experience or shared intimacy have a default to a a level of like assumed connection based on the fact that we both like, like this craft or we all like this hobby. Um, and that doesn't work in the dating world. You don't like, you don't assume that it would be great to be in relationship with somebody just because you like being on Tinder or whatever. Like this is not, this is not the best example, but hopefully you get what I'm saying. But so uh it, it was a, a challenge, perhaps, or like a learning experience to realize that the rope world is just like any other part of the world where it's filled with people who I really click with and people who I share values with and people who I don't actually want to hang out with in my day to day life and figuring out how to uh, be more discerning about who I who I partner with or who I share space with even as friends has been, I suppose, only challenging because, as I said, there is this sort of default assumption in the very beginning that like, welcome to the family. Right. There's a bit of a feeling of like.
1: And it can be a trick yeah. sometimes like, oh, this is a safe space and then you get all vulnerable totally. and then it turns out it wasn't that safe in the end.
2: Yeah. And this feels, I mean, this feels like an older challenge at this point. I think I've been far enough along in my rope journey that this doesn't feel like a present challenge, but certainly past Past Fuoco reckoned with that realization.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think it's fair to say you're one of the pioneers of rope-bottoming education, Fuoco. Uh, how far along do you feel we are? And if you compare to your vision of what bottoming education should be, what percentage of the way are we?
2: Oh, that's such a scary question. Um, <laughs> first of all, I mean, something that I, something that is so thrilling to me is that every year there's a new educator with something to offer that I didn't even conceptualize of. Like, I often, uh, I've been so excited by the offerings of Karada House, teaching all of these workshops about bottoming with chronic pain and tying people with chronic pain. Right. And like that was something that didn't even really come into my like it wasn't in my field of vision until I saw that workshop. So I don't feel like I have a finger on the pulse of like where it ought to go or where it could go. I think that there's always right now, somebody who's looking around saying, I'm not represented in this educational, like landscape, and there's something that I need to say about it. And that's thrilling, right? Like, we don't know what's going to come next. And I don't have a clear vision of what ought to be because it's exactly those blind spots that continue to, uh, to shape the field of bottoming or like the, the landscape of bottoming education. And so that's very exciting. Something I have been thinking about a lot recently is like how we move away from pattern-based education. Um, I think that this is actually like part of my, I don't know that I feel so committed to this because it's a pretty recent thought. Like maybe in the last six to 12 months, I've really been thinking about how do we, how would it look different if from a starting point of teaching people to tie, we were really teaching people about bodies. Um, it, it sounds so intuitive, it sounds so obvious, like, of course, we're working with bodies, right? But like, I don't know that we really teach people that when you're tying a futomomo, you have to think about the fact that you're tying the lower leg to the upper leg, and you're trying to like, exert leverage against the knee and uh, you know people talk about patterns and they talk about rope placement in terms of like what spot's going to hurt and what spot's not going to hurt but we don't necessarily teach tying in terms of like the joints that we're trying to affect
0: it's the rope first um, not the joint first, the rope first yeah the and you first.
2: right t- exactly you, you see this and how people how people learn that there's like uh, that right now in people's educational journey there's sort of like Learning the frictions. And then once the frictions start to settle into a clear, like into clarity, there's sort of like being able to understand the pattern more holistically. And then there's a point of like, now I can refine my tension and now I can start to understand how this pattern operates on the body. At least to me, this seems to be a, a sort of common trajectory for new rigors as they're learning. And I don't have a perfect answer to how we shift that, but I have been really interested recently in developing curriculum that like truly starts from a place of like, feel how a body moves, feel when a joint comes into tension, think critically about The range of motion that a joint has, and understand that when we're tying, what we're always trying to do is put the body into a position where the body has blocked itself in some way. It's either come, it's either, you know, a limb has met a torso or a limb has come into stretch. We're like restricting movement internally in one direction, and then we're trying to restrict movement externally with the rope, or we're trying to restrict movement in the opposing direction with the rope. And I'd love to find, this isn't exactly bottoming education. This sounds like rigging education. And I keep coming up against this actually, as I talk to people about this, but I think it's actually the best, um, the best outcome is that we're not, we're not developing this fully fleshed out curriculum of bottoming education that sits along rigging education, but that rather we're starting to like teach people differently such that in every, you know, it's always the goal is like you need to have 50% bottoming education and 50% rigging education in any class. This is the goal that I kept hearing articulated when I was on like the education board of these various conferences. But actually, if the class that you're proposing is a class on like five different variations of hip harnesses, like there's not 50% of bottoming education that can exist in that class. Like that's a it's a standard that doesn't make sense in the context of that class. And we keep trying to like jam more bottoming education into these very, very like pattern centric classes. And I'm really interested in what will happen to bottoms and their own experiences of their bodies and their own ability to communicate, like when they feel bound and when they feel safe in their joints and when they feel stable in their joints, when they feel unsafe and unstable. Uh, If we, shifted to curriculums that really centered like understanding bodies differently.
1: Hey, dear listeners, we didn't want you to miss any part of our super cool conversation with Fuoco. And so to hear the second half of this interview, tune in into the very next episode of The Rope Podcast. Thanks for listening
0: and have fun tying.